big news today, not only from the, the college ranks with fall sports, but uh, on the local level with high school sports. Utah High School Activities Association, their board of trustees got together and voted to uh, the, the, voted on what's going to happen this fall for extracurricular activities. John Oglesby, he's the assistant director of the UHSAA, and he joins us now in the Full Court Press. And Hi, John. John, thanks for your time. I know this has been a really difficult thing to kind of weigh how to go forward on this. I know you guys have been debating this and doing the research on this for months. Yeah, hey, guys. It's uh, great to be on the program. And, uh, like, I, I think you hit it perfectly, COVID-19 and how it um, relates to our business, which is education and athletics. It's like the homework assignment that you never quite finish. There's all more you can do with it. So, yeah, today was just another step in that. So I, I know that the – in the spring, around May, when things kind of were, were at the end of the regular school year and at the very end, things started to relax a little bit more around the state, and UHSAA said, we're going to wait until we reach a certain level before we even really talk publicly about what's going to happen in the fall. What, what has that process been like leading to today? Well, ever since um, school was canceled for in-person learning, um, for the remainder of the school year back in the spring, um, that really set in motion once we knew in-person learning wasn't going to happen. Our board felt strongly with no in-person learning, there's no sports. And once the school year ended, what would have been the normal youth school year ended, at that point our board of trustees said, okay, we need to start going back to the normal summer protocol, which is schools after Memorial Day are able to start having kids on campus, able to start having practices and team activities where there are local health officials as well as school district officials felt that with state and within state guidelines. So when that process happened throughout June, our board obviously monitoring different situations across the state, gathering feedback, looking at best practices, not only from um, our collegiate partners in the state, college conferences, as well as even some of our uh, fellow state associations around the country, um, was able to kind of put all that information together. And then a special meeting of the Board of Trustees as well as the Executive Committee was called this week to basically say, okay, over the next two to three weeks, with practices officially getting ready to start, where are we at? And the Board of Trustees meeting today looking at where we're at in terms of school districts returning to in-person or blended learning and also looking at all the other factors that go into us being able to stay to do in education-based activities. The decision was made today to continue forward at this time with our time to fall towards. Hey, John. Uh with that, you guys, you guys put out the statement that there's going to be a lot of safety and protocols to be followed. Will you have players be wearing masks underneath their helmets uh, if when they're playing football games, or how is that going to go? So I think, uh, obviously, the governor came out with his recommendations today. I think some of the details of that obviously have to be worked out. Um, within our rules, it is not against the rules for players, officials, coaches, to wear masks in any sport. And so at any point, whether it's required or not this season, 
if a player, a coach, an official chooses to wear a mask, that's completely within their right to do so within the rules. As far as what that will look like, um, our Sports Medicine Advisory Committee has put together a number of recommendations which are available on our website. And I think the specifics of what things are going to look like still are going to need to be told over the next few weeks um, in terms of what's going to happen um, around our state as well as some statewide guidelines and such. So I think that question still remains to be answered. I know that a lot of the focus for us, at least on this show, and what we talk about is is football related. But I know these de- these decisions and these discussions are not just about football. There's a lot of other fall sports that take place, and not just sports, but also other extracurricular things that you guys kind of oversee. Um, what is it for those other other athletics or other extracurricular things that you guys uh, kind of work through with the way that it's going to look this fall? Well, I think, again, um, and I think that's a great question, Eric, and it really does kind of set the broad foundation that our association supports. Um, it's not just football, men's and women's basketball and baseball. It's uh, softball, it's wrestling, it's men's and women's soccer, it's cross country. Um, I think a lot of our, we're fortunate in that other than football, soccer to a certain extent, a lot of our outdoor fall sports naturally allow for social distancing, um, golf, tennis, cross country. Each sport's got its nuances and each sport's got its specific things that you need to worry about. But I think is we've started to look at the trends of where we're going according to um, the recommendations coming out of the Utah COVID-19 task force, coming out from the State Board of Education. As we've started to take a look at that as well as how our partners around the country are using that in a sporting application, we've really looked at a few things, and that's how can you ensure that you're encouraging a good atmosphere in terms of trying to So I think as you go sport by sport, that looks a little bit different, but trying to promote the most safe atmosphere possible is the number one goal, regardless of the sport or activity. Again, we're talking to John Oglesby. He's the Assistant Director for Utah High School Activities Association. In your release earlier today, uh, you make it make it clear that um, basically you're you're kind of doing things with on a local level, uh, or allowing some discussions to happen on a local level to determine, you know, uh, what happens with with fans. You know, if are are things uh, how many fans are, are allowed? Do do you uh, say that it's all clear? Do you say that uh, nobody can go? How does that work out with allowing fans to go and watch some of these sporting events? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think that's something that in order for this effectively, we have to allow for local control. Um, because the dip, there's a big difference in how events can take place in Beaver or Kane or Sevier County compared to how they can take place in Wasatch County compared to how they can take place in Salt Lake County or even Cache County, right? There's differences in the health department, differences in the case numbers, and so you have to allow schools and districts to be able to make decisions on fans. 
on social distancing measures, on whether or not their school can even participate, you have to allow that to be at the local level with advisement and guidelines coming from the state as well as from our office in order to make it as possible and as easy as it could be for people to participate. Um, the one-size-fits-all approach in our state is, is extremely hard because our state is so different in terms of its geography as well as its population density. Um, and so I think, I think the question is a very good one in the sense that you're going to go different places around the state and things are not going to be equal. And that's okay uh, because the school in that area has to operate according to the guidelines that their local governing body, their local health department is telling them is in their best practice. And I think that's a good thing. One thing that's really impressed me about uh, the Utah High School Athletic Association is their communication with uh, the government and, and the, uh, the health coordinators and such, even in the spring when maybe not everybody agree with their decision of parents and players about you guys canceling spring athletics, but you guys always communicating with doctors and health people related to the situation. Can you talk about your relationship with them and how much that's meant for you guys? Well, I think, I think any organization, any sporting organization, um, you have to have a great relationship with a few groups. Um, medical people, regardless whether it's pro, college, high school, youth, community sports, you have to have medical people being part of the decision-making process. And we're very fortunate that we have several licensed physicians, some nationally acclaimed athletic trainers, who serve as part of our Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. And they do a variety of different things um, in advising our governing boards on decisions and the decision-making process. And so we've been very fortunate to have relationships with those folks. Um, and it, it's very beneficial to us to have that, that flow of information for our boards to make informed decisions. Uh, we're very, very grateful. And and really appreciative of the relationships that we have with our political leaders in our state government across the state, whether that be um, legislators, whether that be the governor's office, the lieutenant governor's office, um, state superintendent Sid Dixon and her office with the state office of education. The flow of information between all those groups behind the scenes is, is always taking place. And it, I think that's a huge benefit um, for the people of this great state of Utah to have leaders constantly sharing information to make sure that when decisions are made, um, it's done with the best information available. And that's really all you can ask is, are you making a decision with the best information that you can gather? And I believe that our association has done that consistently throughout this process. John, with the with UHSAA, are, are you putting together uh, or, or issuing any kind of guidelines that these teams or other or extracurricular activities that they need to follow that if somebody in that group tests positive, how to handle that? And what I mean so by that, is it that specific person get isolated? Does it have to shut the whole team down? And Does it shut down the whole league or the region? How does How does that work? So I think uh, another great question there, our, 
we've already put out a number of guidelines that are available on our website uh, of just recommendations um, and best practices coming from our Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. I think a lot of in terms of how things are handled um, is with a student-athlete testing positive is going to take place at the local level. That's why I think more than ever, our local school administrators, our athletic directors, our coaches are going to be so critical in managing their student bodies, their fan bases, in a sense of really encouraging people to be accountable for their own health and monitoring that if there's an outbreak, if there's a situation that happens, monitoring it in a way to where they're able to quickly understand how extensive that outbreak is. We at a statewide level don't have control of that, but I think at the local level is where most of the advisement is going to come down from that. And and it's really going to be made possible through, again, student-athletes being honest with coaches and coaches being supportive of athletes of the adage forever and ever of play through anything, that's going to have to change in a lot of senses. Student-athletes, if they don't feel well or if something is going on physically, they're going to need to communicate that. Coaches are going to need to be supportive of that. And I have a lot of confidence in our people that through all those combined efforts, we'll be able to get it right to minimize some of the outbreaks that you're talking about. John, what if a situation arises where there's a spike in a community and um, it looks like you know activities like this, especially if a team of 50, 60 kids can't be together, uh, would mm-hmm. that? Uh, how does a region handle that? Mm-hmm. How does that affect potential RPI? If if that team has, if you're a, a team that was going to be on your schedule, but now they have to forfeit because there's an outbreak in their area, how does that? I mean, we may be looking at so many different potential scenarios out there, but uh, it, it, some of them could be more real than others. Yeah, and I I think that's one big point that our board of trustees made in the meeting today, Eric, was to talk about how we're going to have a very unique operating atmosphere compared to our normal modicum of how we run high school sports in the state. Um, We may have a point in the season where um, a team can't start until the third week of the season, whether it's an outbreak, whether it's their uh, local health department is concerned about them participating. And the, the wonderful thing about the RPI is really you're graded off of what you complete and what you participate in, not necessarily off of a set number of games that you have to play. And so I think the RPI has afforded us more flexibility than we've ever had in the state of Utah to be able to allow for these uneven and sometimes unique situations where even in Cache Valley, you could very easily have one football team that plays eight games, one that plays six, one that plays four, one that plays five. It could happen. And the RPI will allow them to be able to be seated in based upon what they've done in their RPI in that scenario. Um, I think to your point about if a team has to cancel a game, how will that look? Is it a forfeit? The Board of Trustees was very clear today that games that aren't able to be played 
due to COVID-19 related concerns. They're not a forfeit. It's just a no contact. And then our staff, due to resources we have, we will then, if there's a team that's unable to participate in the game, help teams find games potentially if they are able to play. Again, I think the one important thing for fans, coaches, um, administrators, anyone to remember this year is things are going to be somewhat tenuous. And, and there's going to be things that are well outside of our normal operation of business. But the one important thing to remember is that as long as there's that trust that things are being done to protect students, then I think we'll be able to get over a lot of those bumps and bruises along the way. And I think we'll be able to get to an atmosphere where that adaptability and that skill that we've really flexed throughout the year is going to benefit us in the long run. And so long story short on that question, Eric, it's just going to take a lot of patience for people. And there's going to be things that aren't going to be equal compared to how they've always been. But we're confident that our state is better situated than it's ever been to be able to have a quality, competitive experience for as many teams that are able to participate as they can. What is the schedule for high school athletic teams to be able to start practice? And then what is the schedule for the opening days? Is it still set for August 14th? So as of right now, the Board of Trustees moved to start everything on time. And so our first start date uh, for tryouts is August 20th, which is boys golf um, in the 2A through 6A. And then in the following week, the week after that, you have football camps, which open up. And then the football start date, which you said in mid-August. And so as of right now, um, the Board of Trustees has said we need to push forward on time as school districts and communities are planning on it. So that is the direction we're going in. How, uh, like, it's so fluid, I think, everything, and that's the word it's always been used for the past four months is fluid. How fluid is the situation, even that you are continuing youth, uh, high school athletics? You guys are probably still on your heels about everything that could or will happen as the, the uh, fall moves on. Well, as I said before, we're on a daily basis gathering information from stakeholders all around the state, all around our region, and nationally. And that gives us a good pulse of where we're at. Um, and that gives our board of trustees and our executive committee a lot of information to be able to make decisions upon. We are anticipating that our boards will be meeting frequently um, throughout the year just due to the nature of the pandemic and its evolution. Um, so I think the fluidity with which you talk about is definitely going to be there and that you could see things change based upon spikes or drops or sudden changes in data that we're getting. Um, like I say, I, I think the year is going to be extremely, extremely different from what we've ever seen in high school sports. And I think that in a lot of ways that makes it challenging and in a lot of ways it's going to make it really, really exciting to see how it plays out. John, I want to just circle back on the, the fan issue, or the, or friends and family, if they can attend or whatnot. I know while you said that it, a lot depends on a local district, region, where these things are played, you guys do have some control over state tournaments and state championships. 
Will you have to be working closely with where those are held to determine whether or not fans can attend, or how does that work? What's that relation like? Absolutely. I think that's a very astute observation as we work with where we're holding the tournament. So our tournaments that are held in Salt Lake County, we're going to work with the university or the group that's hosting it, and they're going to work and get advice from what they can do on their county health department. Same if we're to do something up at Weaver State, Ogden. The same if we're to do something down at UVU, down in Orem. And so that is going to be a yearly part of the process. In a way, it's always been a part of our process. We've always worked individually with each venue and each state tournament site to uniquely build the tournament and its operating procedures for that group. Um, but we're definitely this year going to be very closely monitoring and working with those people to make sure wherever we're at, what we're doing is in line with what that group is advising. Well, John, like you said, it's going to be very interesting in a very different uh, couple of months, and uh, we hope for the best that this virus subsides and we can resume things to some degree of normalcy. But it is kind of exciting, though, to see the new, the announcement today that these activities will be able to happen this fall. There's been a lot of questions whether or not they would. So we, we appreciate you taking the time to help us understand the, kind of the decision process that went, led up to it and then what still may be to come for these uh, sports and other activities throughout the state. Well, thanks so much, guys. It's always great to be with you. And uh, hope you guys stay safe and uh, hope to see you in person sooner rather than later. Yeah, amen to that. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate you. Thanks, John. All right. Have a great day, guys. Thank you.